0: Good afternoon, all here and out there as well. This is the first Sabbath we've had since spring is officially here, and uh, what a beautiful day! I notice the cottonwoods and the lilacs and various things are beginning to put out buds. We'll see. <laughs> you know, more more years than not here at this elevation, we get some warm weather and. Uh, the fruit trees are deceived into thinking winter is over, so they put out their blossoms and then they get nipped in the bud. That's where that expression came from. And uh, more, more years than not here, you don't have fruit or very little fruit. Once in a while, you'll get a bumper crop because the frost doesn't get them. And we learned when we first moved here, you cannot safely plant your garden till the 1st of June. A lot of people will try to do it toward the end of April, the first of May, and they often are very, very disappointed because we'll get a pretty hard freeze somewhere along there. So it's a little dicey yet until the climate gets changed some more. Anyway, I love springtime and love to see the new life coming and the goats about to multiply themselves. Just a kind of exciting time. Well, we'll have a Bible study next Friday evening, uh, usually when the new moon uh, evening comes. We don't have a Bible study if it's on a Friday or a Saturday night because we meet on Sabbath anyway. Um, but I think this being the first month of the new year coming up, even though it falls Friday, uh, we'll go ahead and have a special Bible study. So, 7.30 Friday night for that. Now a few comments as we are going further and further into the book of Zechariah. We're getting close to the time and it's here in the context when things are changing pretty dramatically and we'll see that today. I've been seeing uh, western propaganda trying to paint Putin as a war criminal, and I look at that and I think, who's kidding who? What about Nixon and Johnson and Clinton and the Bushes and Obama and Biden? We have started so many wars and meddled in so many places that were none of our business because we wanted to be the predominant power in the world. Putin has not done that in his 20 or so years in Russia. He's not reached out and defeated other countries. We've been doing it for a long time. Now, what happened when the Soviets decided they wanted to put missiles in Cuba? Cuba. Oh, boy, we reacted to that one, didn't we? We weren't going to allow them to do that, at near our shores. Now, here we've had NATO, primarily the United States, pushing, 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 closer and closer to Russia, and Putin all the time saying, don't do this, there'll be consequences, don't do this, don't do the all we want, and then we continue to do so. So then when he begins to try to secure his borders from us, who are pushing this, he is the war criminal. You know, we have a big bill to pay as Americans. And you know what? The rest of the world knows it. They've seen us be the aggressor and go in Vietnam, North Korea, Iraq, Libya, Afghanistan, name it. Because our interests were there about money and power. We are the great whore that has been riding the beast. And they're going to turn and kill us. So we pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. But don't believe the stuff you see on the television news or anywhere else that's coming out of Washington, D.C. or the press. Because they are bought off. And they're trying to make... Putin looked like the bad guy and us looked like the good guys here. We're going to save Ukraine. We tried that in 2014. Went in there and took over. And Putin didn't lash out that time and start a war. He barely allowed it. And now as we push further and further, he's not going to allow it. What do you expect him to do? We're trying to corner the man. Trying to take his country away from him. He's going to defend it. America, at least some in Washington, and I think primarily among the military, still want to retain American power over the world. And they want to do it militarily. But we have to understand from Scripture and from what we see going on that our own leaders are going to sell us out. We do not have to push this to a nuclear war. And I don't believe that Russia or China is going to do a nuclear war against us. Now, they might have some very low-power nukes or something that they try to use, but they won't need to because the Bible says our leaders are going to sell us out. Biden and his ilk are communists, or have been bought by the communists, and they want America destroyed so the new world order can come in. And Biden is now saying it in plain language, we're going to have a new world order. That which was a conspiracy all this time, now is being said by the president or whoever writes that stuff on his teleprompter because he doesn't know what world he's in. Why would they need to nuclear bomb us? China's already said that they want to colonize America. Well, they don't want to make it a nuclear wasteland. How are you going to colonize that? No, they've already made deals behind the scenes with our leadership to start destroying us ahead of time. COVID's part of it. Now they're going to do it with fuel and food. And this thing has all been set up ahead of time. They're already having food riots and fuel riots in Sri Lanka and other places. It's already started in other parts of the world, and it's not very far away here. Now, watch for something in terms of a big false flag to happen fairly soon here in America, because Russia's the bad guy. We're blaming Russia on everything, and now we're beginning to say already they'll do a cyber attack on us. So we're setting it up ahead of time. We may do it to ourselves and blame it on Russia because we are in collusion, our government is, with the other powers of the world. And I think China and Russia are both included in that. Putin did go to Swab's uh, World Economic Forum school. Now, they've disassociated him from it, but he went and got trained there. So who's To say that all those guys aren't getting in meetings way ahead of time and setting this whole thing up, and just like we did, the Twin Towers in New York, we may do this to ourselves and blame it on Russia. So if we have a huge cyber attack that shuts down the banks, maybe shuts down the internet, EMP attack, cyber attack, whichever comes, it won't destroy the infrastructure, it won't destroy the buildings and homes. They want those. They want the people gone. Is what they want gone. And China and their defense people have said they're gonna kill us all. That's their goal. And take over. Now the Bible says we'll be divided, I think, if I'm reading it right, into four pieces. So they'll kind of divide us up and China's not going to get it all like they'd like. But we are the ones that are pushing that thing in the Ukraine right now. We're lining up hundreds of thousands of troops, equipment, everything to invade. And it won't surprise me a bit if we do. Because that puts us head to head with the Russians and gives a good excuse or a cyber or an EMP or whatever they choose to use that will take us down and if we don't have trucks delivering food we'll bit each other's throats in three days in the cities all over the place. So this thing has been set up very cleverly by Satan behind the scenes with the people who have declared themselves Satan worshippers. They, they make no bones about it. That's what they do. That's what their secret societies are. Bilderbergers, the the names won't even come to me at the moment. It doesn't matter. You've heard of them all. We are familiar with them. Council on Foreign Relations and so on. That's what they are, is Masonics and Satan worshipers. So they're teaming up against whom? Israel, God talks about the times of the Gentiles when they are going to take over the world and destroy Israel. And that fits his plan because Israel, we, are so sinful, he's going to wipe us out all but less than 10%. And he's going to use Satan and the Gentile nations to do it. That's the plan he has in mind. So what you and I are seeing and watching is that coming to pass before our very eyes. We're pushing against Russia with all those sanctions, and they're turning to gold and oil and gas to support themselves, and they're going to survive this and destroy us, along with a coalition of nations who will be with them. And China and India and dozens more are going to be involved. Our dollar, very quickly now, is going to go to nothing because they're bypassing the oil dollar. And are starting to use their own currencies and they'll come up with a digital dollar. And our own government has just recently said, and Biden signed an executive order, to go ahead and develop the digital dollar. So from the top down, our government is said we're going the same way. Well, why not? That's going to be the way the world goes. And whatever's left of America, and it won't be much, because one-third will die of famine and pestilence, which is now coming upon us. They gave us a little bit of pestilence. Now they're going to give us famine. And famine will give us more pestilence, and a third of us are going to die of that. A third will die when the invading army comes. And a third taken into captivity and a sword after them. So that tells me right there that the famine and pestilence is being contrived. It is going to come very quickly down on us. We're going to have a civil war, which Jeremiah 50 and 51 outlined very clearly. And we're going to start killing ourselves, each other, and even violence among the leaders in the nation. He makes it very clear there. Leaders killing each other. So we're going to be in a terribly weakened condition. Who needs nukes? Just come on in and take over. That's, what, that's where we are. This thing's coming down here within weeks or months. It's not going to be very long. If it lasts another year, I'll be real surprised (laughs) as fast as it's developing right now. So, let's go then with that little talk to Zechariah again. We went through chapter 12. Now, just by review, this whole book, uh, uh, Haggai and then Zechariah, both books, are dealing with the remnant of the church that God puts together to finish the work, preaching the gospel around the world is a witness. That's what these two books are very specifically about. So it shows what will be done in terms of building a temple. It shows how the leadership will come. It shows how blessings will come back to them and the fast that we've been doing will become feasts of joy. God is going to forgive, and he is going to show and give us grace in the wilderness. So that's what this book is about. So we know from Isaiah and these two books and other places that he's going to have a 10% remnant of the church that he will stir to come and build a temple in Jerusalem uh, and then preach for three and a half years to the world. So that's what this is all about here. Now, it begins to change in chapter 13 from specifically the remnant that are called out to deal with the rest of the church, if you will. Because here it says in chapter 12, as we went over last week, that he's going to give power and strength to the remnant. And that we will look upon Christ, whom we have not given the respect that he should have had. Yeah, we've respected him. Yes, we've tried to live by his ways, but we were self-righteous and thought too highly of ourselves and got spewed out. But then we're going to truly repent and Joel and Amos and others show how we'll repent early. I think Hosea comments on that. Uh And we'll look upon him whom we have pierced and mourn for our part in it and truly respect him in the way that we should. That's what's coming with the remnant. And it ends by showing there will be great mourning because we're going to recognize our shortcomings, our self-righteousness, our vanity, our ego, our thinking we're better than anyone else because we have the truth. And all the things that went with Laodiceanism, and there'll be great mourning, and there'll be people coming to worship God in spirit and in truth. Then let's go to chapter 13 and see how that plays out. In that day, that day that we're talking about here, just as the remnant begins to come and begins to have the right attitude in worshiping God properly. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Now, this is not the millennium yet. Christ doesn't return until down in chapter 14. So, this is still events leading up to Christ's return before it happens. And he's already been telling us in the chapters prior to this one what he's going to do with the remnant, because they're very important to his plan. Now he's going to say that he's opening a fountain to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, speaking overall of the church, Hebrews 12, 22, and 23 again. Speaking of the church. Now where is he going to open a fountain? And what is a fountain? A fountain is where water comes out. Christ made it very clear in the New Testament that he is the living water. And his word is a water of truth. So he is going to open up his truth, his spirit, his water to the church. Ten percent are going to respond and come to do the work and be the ones that he was talking about here who recognized his true value and paid the price as he paid the price. We're willing to give ourselves as slaves, as servants to him, heart, mind, body, and soul, just as he gave himself in death for us. So, we owe him. We owe him who we are and what we are. And we'll turn and give him the true credit and the deep kind of worship that he so desires and that we fail to do. So, he is going to open truth. But only 10% will respond. Then he goes into what he's going to do With the rest. You're going to do this with the ten percent. What happens to the ninety who don't respond? Now the fountain is opened of truth. The living waters. And if they don't come to it. And have their sin and their uncleanness removed. Then what? He's already said in many scriptures. That only ten percent will respond and come for the living waters and the truth that is going to be opened up through the two witnesses who are feeding all seven churches there in Revelation four. I mean in uh, Zechariah four. It will be there for them if they will accept it. But he's already said ninety percent won't. Now what are you going to do with them? And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Eternal of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. See, this isn't the millennium yet. These aren't millennial things at that point. The unclean spirit isn't dealt with until the millennium begins When Christ takes Satan by the nap of the neck And throws him into the pit So this is before that There's still sin and uncleanness around And Christ hasn't returned yet That's not till next chapter So he's going to cause the prophets To the unclean spirit to pass out of the land He's going to start shaking this nation to its core And he's going to start shaking the 90% left of the church to its core along with it because they're still going to be in it. They will not have come out and gone to Zion and Jerusalem as they should. Opportunity was there. The fountain was opened. The leadership was pointed out by signs and wonders, but only 10% responded. Don't believe it. Don't get it. He gets a hoax, whatever. For whatever reasons, they won't respond. But God is going to start uh, pleading it up. Now, didn't he say back here in chapter 11, three shepherds he'll cut off in one month. He talks about the big trees, three of them, coming down. So he's going to deal with the church. And he's going to, as he said back here, Feed the flock of the slaughter. So the church is essentially going to be slaughtered. And only that 10% are going to be preserved out of it. That's the same thing he's talking about now when he begins to do it in chapter 13. He's already given us a preview of that back there. And here he's dealing with the prophets and the unclean spirit that they've listened to. Don't you realize most of the church now is listening to Satan more than they are to God? They're still out there in the world, nominally a part of the church of God, but not following his ways in the way that he wants, and are still doing their thing in that culture and under the purview of Satan the ruler of this world. They're kind of, have not really repented, still self-righteous, still think they're Philadelphians or whatever, and that hasn't changed. Only about 10% are getting the message and truly repenting. That's all. So when this fountain is opened, they won't respond, they won't have their sin removed and their uncleanness removed, and then God's going to start destroying. It shall come to pass that when, it, when any shall yet prophesy, he still thinks he has the truth. Still thinks he can influence people to do what he thinks is right and come and follow me and everything will turn out all right. That's the attitude they're in now. And we're right at the point where this is about to change. And they're going to stay that way. They're not going to repent of it. They're going to go back and say, well, Worldwide was the true church and we're still doing what Worldwide did. And they completely lose the fact that God destroyed Worldwide. Killed it. Or let others kill it. But it was he who was behind it. Read the book of Lamentations. God says, I did this Over and over and over in that book. So, when any shall yet prophesy, he's still going to try to preach. Then his father and his mother that begot him shall say to him, you shall not live. They're going to see trouble coming. And they're going to see that God is dealing with them as he said back there. And cut off three shepherds in one month. And he's going to loathe the shepherds. And they'll loathe him. And there's even an idle shepherd who abhors God. And God abhors him. And at least three big churches or groups being cut down. So he's going to start doing that. And then everybody is going to say, My son, shut up. We're going to be destroyed if you keep preaching this. Because everybody that is is being taken care of. So suddenly, nobody's going to want to preach because they see what happens to the preachers. His parents themselves tell telling, you shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the eternal. So they're not telling the truth. They don't know the truth. They've lost it. They may still have basic doctrines, right? But they don't know what's going on. And they don't know what should be going on in their lives. It's time to listen up and know. So they'll say things in the name of God. But they'll be untrue things. What good does that do anybody? And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. They'll say, you're bringing trouble on us, and go so far as to even kill him if he doesn't shut up. These are still pretty trying times, aren't they? Civil war within the family itself, among those who are even, or have been, the teachers and preachers in the That's what this whole book is about. And it shall come to pass in that day, that the prophet shall be ashamed every one of his vision. He says, well, I've been preaching the truth the best way I knew how, and according to the best of my vision, how'd it work out for you? (laughs) Didn't, Didn't do so well with it. He'll become ashamed of it. When he has prophesied, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. Maybe that's kind of a reference to like uh, John the Baptist who wore rough garments. He was not a polished, sophisticated type. He ate locusts and wild honey and was out in the desert considered a wild man. Uh, and they won't say they're like him. Uh, but he shall say, here's what he will do, I am no prophet, I'm a husbandman, for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. You know, these people that are taking over this nation are already begin to persecute anybody who uses the name of Christ. If you consider yourself a Christian, whether you're a real one or not, you're on the red list. You're on the list to be exterminated by those in Washington who have made the list. Russia and China didn't make the list on you. Our own government did. And even our, shall I call her, vice president, said that if you voted for Trump, and I think she included Christian, I'm not sure, anything contrary to those who stole the election, if you're contrary to us in any way, You are labeled a terrorist, and we are coming after you. She said that. If you voted for Trump, we're coming after you. I think she meant it. Because she'd been told by those behind the scenes, the puppeteers, what to say. Or maybe she knew it ahead of time and couldn't hold her tongue and announced it when it wasn't yet time to say it. I don't know. But nonetheless, the vice president of this country said it. We're coming after you. So they have lists of anybody who goes to prep sites, who goes to alternative news, who claims to be Christian, who has guns. If you do any of those things and more, You are a terrorist in their eyes, and they're coming after you. Now, why does it say in the book of Revelation that the ground, well, it it says that uh, the blood of martyrs will cry out from the ground. And I think in 18, it even says in there, yeah, it does. Let's go back there for a moment. It ties in very well here. Revelation 18. And I kind of wondered about this and how it fit for a long time. Um, because we haven't been martyred here as Christians in this nation. Yet. But let's see if I can find it here. Verse 20. Let's see. They've said, What city is like this great city? Verse 18. And they cast dust on their heads. This is the the merchants of the world who are going to see their revenue cut off and how she's made desolate in an hour. And then verse 20, Rejoice over her, you heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Goes on down in verse 23 and shows how they've deceived us with pharmacy, the drug world. So, what we are going to see based on that is a martyrdom of Christians, and especially of true Christians. That's why it Chapter 13 of Zechariah, where it's still talking, it hasn't changed the subject, still talking about the church, more specifically the 90% that are left behind, and Satan and those in charge are going to come after them. They'll be on the red list. And they're suddenly going to start saying, I'm not a Christian, I'm a farmer. I, I didn't preach. What do you mean I preached? I'm not a preacher. I don't know anything about preaching. I'm, I'm a wheat farmer. I'm a, well, they won't say they're a pig farmer. But they won't want to admit that they've been in the ministry or been a Christian. Because I think Revelation 18 is telling us there that they will have persecuted and will have killed Christians. They're going to activate the red list. And they're going to create civil war in this country and try to exterminate all Israelites, all Christians, anyone who opposes them. They'll come after your guns. Or they may decide that's a difficult thing and might get them and their UN soldiers killed. They may decide simply to remove your food Remove your fuel, which they're doing as we speak, and let you use your Second Amendment rights, your guns and ammo, to kill each other. Now, that would help their cause a great deal. If Americans would start killing each other, they can sit back and say, oh, boy, they're doing a good job out there. Had a million killed today, had three million yesterday, and will probably have ten million die tomorrow. They're killing each other for food. And we'll become so weakened that they don't need nuclear bombs. Just march in and take over. Because we won't have food. We'll be weakened by famine and pestilence. And to come in and kill another third won't be a big deal. We'll have shot most of our bullets at each other by then. Now maybe that's not exactly the way it'll come down. But that's what the scriptures are saying. When the blood of Christians is crying out for vengeance. So, I didn't understand what that meant because Christians had not been killed yet in America. They have in Congo. They have in places in Africa and here and there, but not here yet. But it's just around the corner. And I think it's going to happen while America still is the great Horror. And that is part of what she's destroyed for, is because she did activate the red list, and God sees it and will watch it. And then He is going to take the nation and its leaders down. So no wonder they'll say, I've caught, kept cattle from my youth, verse 5. I was raised on a farm, I was raised on a ranch. You, I wasn't a preacher. And one will say to him, what are these wounds in your hands? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now, he may have been captured, may have been tortured, may have wounds in his hands in other places. And they're going to say, oh, you're a farmer, huh? Well, how did you get those wounds? Oh, well, my friends did it to me. Now, there's a lame excuse for you. Then he says in verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, says the eternal of hosts. Well, now, who in the nation could that be referring to? He's already said he will not let the sword come against this 10% faithful remnant, okay? There in Micah 5, he says, When the Assyrian comes into our land, that he'll send out seven, even eight, principal men. They will be a sharp threshing instrument, and they'll send the Assyrian packing. He tells us in Isaiah 7 and 8, That they'll come into Emmanuel's land, the promised land, the original promised land, to fight against who? The 10% faithful remnant, because Satan knows where they are. And God says he's going to repel them. So they're not going to kill the faithful remnant. They will be protected. They will have become the Philadelphians, whether they were repentant Laodiceans or a few names, Lieutenant, out of worldwide or Sardis. They will form Philadelphia. And he says he will protect them. But right here, he's saying, Awake, O sword, against my shepherds. So these have been people who have been in his church, have been his shepherds. He's not going to put a sword on the bell of Joshua, the two witnesses, He's not going to kill, well, he will, the last, right at the end. But he's not going to let the remnant be disturbed. A wall of fire around them. Covered over them. So this has to be the rest of the church, okay? And he will turn the sword on them. And the sheep shall be scattered. You won't have United or Philadelphia or restored, or living, or any of these. They're going to disappear. Individuals from any and all of those may show up as part of the remnant, but 90% are left behind, and God is going to let the sword come upon them. And their blood will cry out from Revelation 18, and then back in chapter 5, I think it also says the same thing of Revelation so nobody's going to want to say I'm a Christian, I'm a preacher, because they're going to know that they're on the red list and they're going to be killed if they're there. So this is against the man that is my fellow, that has been God's, has been part of his church. Says the Eternal of Hosts: Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn my hand upon the little ones. So they're going into a time of tribulation. A time of destruction and martyrdom is what they're going to be turned into. Now a lot of this may occur before the great tribulation. That is when the temple is desecrated And the faithful flee from Jerusalem to Zion. And then the three and a half years of the times of the Gentiles begins. So where this fits in may be before the Gentiles even take over our country. Because our own government will turn loose. Our own military, the UN, whoever against anyone who is on their list. So this killing of Christians is on the at the foot of or the doorstep of the American government. That's what Revelation eighteen says. It says the great whore is going to be eaten by the beast, destroyed, killed. But the death of God's people and martyrdom will be on their head. Now, when we're invaded, our people will be destroyed, and our leaders will also be destroyed, whichever ones are left. Do you really think that the Chinese and the Russians would preserve and put in high positions those who have been traitors and treasonous and have sold us out to them And they know they can't be trusted. They're there to take money from whoever will give it to them and do what they want. That kind of people they won't want. They will kill them. What they have done to you and me, or to Christianity as a whole and the church in specific, will be turned on their own heads. That's the way God works. You reap what you sow. So this will happen before the great tribulation even begins and be laid at our leader's feet. God says he'll turn his hand upon the little ones. So the shepherds destroyed and the little ones destroyed. Now he said he, back here that we already read in chapter 11, that he would feed the, the uh, flock, the little flock of the slaughter, that which is left. But the 90% then are included in chapter 13. I'll turn my hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, says the eternal, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. So... Two-thirds killed of those who claim to be church of God. And one-third left alive. Now, it might be that they will live on into the millennium, be part of those who are saved out of this slaughter that is going to occur very shortly now. I will bring the third part through the fire... And will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. So, if you're part of the 10% remnant, you're brought in, you're protected, you're taken care of, so you can finish preaching the gospel around the world as a witness. To the whole world. If you're not part of that. You're left behind. And whatever occurs to the Methodists. The Baptists. The Church of Christ. The Mormons. And the Catholics. Is going to happen to you. And those other people. Those other churches. Don't even have God's spirit at all. And Satan will see. What little spirit. The light. That is in those who. Have been properly baptized and have been uh, begotten of God's Spirit. They're easy to recognize. Two-thirds of them are going to die. One-third will be brought through the fire. Now, that may then be referring to the great tribulation. They go through this murder of Christians and the Red List, and a third go on into the tribulation as slaves, whatever, and live on into the millennium having gone through the fire. Now, let's compare that to Revelation 3 just for a moment, where he tells us, Laodicean church, that's been us, I counsel you, verse 18, well, let's read before that even, 17, you're lukewarm, I'll skew you out, Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods, I'm spiritually okay, and have need of nothing, we have everything we need. Herbert Armstrong restored the truth, we have it, it's all we need. And know not that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, spiritually seeking. Now, if they were physically naked, they'd be pretty aware of it. But spiritually naked, you can deceive yourself. So then he gives advice. Buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. Anoint your eyes so you can see. You're blind. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, this could be speaking of two Opportunities at Repentance. When he spewed us out, this instruction was to us to ourselves repent in the fire of the spewing. We've been in frustration and confusion and unhappiness and frustration now for several decades. And that has been a trial by fire on the church. Now it is going to escalate to the same kind of trial by fire on the nation, and then, ultimately, even on the Gentiles when Christ returns. So, if you're not refined in the destruction of the church, and don't repent then and become part of the remnant, you're left behind and go through physical fire of tribulation. It says, Refine them as silver is refined, and we'll try them as gold is tried. So he says, If you won't do it to yourself in the spewing, you're gonna go into this other, and then you're gonna be under great heat. Two thirds of you will die. And the third part will live and go through and be refined. Now, does that mean they'll be part of the 144,000 at the first resurrection? They may be, because they will have been tried and repented. Or, they will live on into the millennium and be truly converted there. I don't know. Could be some in either category. But if they go through the Great Tribulation and are refined by that in slavery and come to true repentance, I don't see why they wouldn't be included in the 144,000. So it's 10% remnant who are tried with the fire of spewing and clean themselves up and are protected to do God's work. The rest go into what our nation is going into. And two-thirds of them die there, and one-third come through, having been refined. So that takes care of, then, the whole church. Gives you an idea of what's happening. Ten percent here, ninety percent here, and one-third of them turn and repent. Makes it very clear here. I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. So both sides, from God's side and their side, agreement will be reached. So they're going to be the people of God. And I would guess um, in the first resurrection as part of the 144,000. Maybe that's. Somewhat speculation, because it doesn't say specifically when they are saved out of all this, but that would seem to indicate that to me. So then let's go to chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. So what we've been reading up to here has not included the day of the Lord yet. It's included American killing American red list people. And then they may go into the great tribulation and be further refined. But the day of the Lord comes. It's on its way. The day of the Lord isn't the great tribulation. I hope we understand that. Let's go to Matthew 25 and I'll show you that real quickly. I'm sure we understand it, but let's review it for a moment here. Chapter 24, uh, as we know, is where Christ says the gospel will be preached and then the end shall come. So it's the two witnesses in the remnant church that preach it around the world and then the end comes. Herbert Armstrong and Ted Armstrong never did that and the end didn't come and here we are over 30 years later. So Matthew 24 essentially is still to be fulfilled. Because when the abomination is set up in verse 15 here is when the church flees to a place of safety. And the abomination hasn't been set up yet. Never was. Well, there was an abominable person within worldwide which I pointed out to Herbert Armstrong in 1981. And he did desecrate the church. But it also happens again when those Prophecies of Daniel come to play, come into play. And then is the sign to flee. Well, here we are all these decades later and we haven't fled yet, have we? So that shows you that the job hasn't been done yet. Or we would have fled long ago. And then he says in verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world at this time, "...nor ever shall be." And if it weren't shortened, and did no flesh be saved alive. Now, go on down to verse 29. "...immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven." And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great, great glory. So, the day of the Lord, His coming, and the seven last plagues occur after the Great Tribulation. Immediately after it, the Great Tribulation is spoken of as 1260 days, three and a half years, or 42 months. 360-day years, which we're going to have by then. So, Zechariah 14 then begins to address this. The day of the Lord comes, and your spoil shall be divided in the midst of you. The world will think that they have gained all riches, Everything worthwhile, the new world order, will have taken over. They will even have by then the treasures of God. Because when they desecrate Jerusalem and the temple, the treasures of God will by then have been placed there by the remnant church. And they'll take them over. Tells us that in Daniel 11. Let me tie that in here for just a moment. because he's going to set up his headquarters in the glorious land. Verse 41 of chapter 11. (laughs) This is the king of the north. king of the south will push against him, but the king of the north shall enter also into the glorious land, that's the promised land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. That shows you right there that In the original promised land, those peoples are there. And preponderantly and predominantly, the Mormons. (laughs) And he'll stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. That's the original land of Egypt. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver. And all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But then he's going to have trouble from someone who is at that time in the north. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. So, the original site of Jerusalem is a bridge of land, a neck of land, as described elsewhere in Scripture, with water on both sides, the former and the hinder sea. So, between the seas and the holy Jerusalem and temple, he's going to put his throne and take over the treasures of God. That would make someone I know real paranoid to have that read to him. But that's what's going to happen. It won't be for very long, though. Christ is going to return and say, The gold is mine and the silver is mine. I'll take the beast and the false prophet by the neck and throw them into a lake of fire. So it won't have done them any good. But while we are in Zion being protected, just a few miles away, the beast's power will be in charge of Jerusalem, having defiled the temple and taken over the treasures of God. And somebody might have and say, well, God wouldn't let that happen. Well, why not? He just said he will. <laughs> and secondarily, didn't he allow the Philistines to have the Ark of the Covenant for a while? David got in trouble when he began to dance in joy with his wife because he was showing too much. No, God allowed the Gentiles to have the Ark of the Covenant. And even when it came back, somebody reached out to try to protect it when they'd been told don't touch it, and he died on the spot. Philistines touched it. They didn't die. But an Israelite did. Because God holds them to a different standard to the promises that had been made. So yes, God is going to allow the beast and the false prophet to take over. And when we see, having built it, just finished it, 70 weeks are given to build Jerusalem from the time the order is given to do it. And then it will be defiled by the beast and the false prophet. He'll stand in the temple saying, I am God. And the world will fall down at his feet and worship. But you and I won't. So God's going to let them think they won. He's going to do that again. When the three and a half years of preaching are done, he's going to allow the two witnesses to be killed in the streets of Jerusalem. That's their last trip is to Jerusalem. Right up here. And they're going to be killed right there. And again, just like when they took over the temple in Jerusalem, they're going to crow to the world and say, oh, we won. We only had these two left as a pain in our neck. And now they're dead. And they'll party like no party has ever been given, sending gifts around the world to each other. They'll think they won again. And then all hell is going to break loose on them. That's at the end of the tribulation. That's where we are in the setting of Zechariah 14. Their spoil will be divided in the midst of them. <laughs> all this silver and gold in the temple in Jerusalem, uh, they're not going to have it anymore. Not when Christ comes. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. They'll still be there. This isn't talking about God's faithful remnant. They're in a place of protection. And when Christ returns, which is we're about to read the next verse, they're going to rise to meet Him in the air. So it's those who are left there that are going to be in trouble. The Gentiles that have been ruling the earth for 42 months are the ones that are in the city when this happens. People in this world, when they see that the beast and the false prophet didn't win, are going to turn against The beast's power. Christ, when he returns, is going to grab them by the neck and throw them in a lake of fire. But in the meantime, when they see the two witnesses rise to meet Christ, along with the rest of the 144,000, they're going to see that the beast and the false prophet have been defeated. And their party is going to turn to anger and hate. And they will come against Jerusalem, and whoever's there, whoever's been ruling, are going to go through an earthquake, and people will be killed. Rape and murder. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. But the Revelation describes this. He's going to come with his saints. And put down all opposition, and every knee will either bow or get broken. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So there it sits, part of it's going north, part of it's coming south. It'll make a real deep valley going east and west. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel. Yea, you shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with him. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. So he first comes and takes his 144,000, meets them in the cloud. Then they go to his throne to be married on the sea of glass, have the wedding supper, Christ will begin to have a relationship with his bride and teach her her new responsibilities and all of that because a man is supposed to take off a year when he gets married and cheer up his wife. That's what the scripture says. So that's what he will do. Meantime, down here, there's going to be a battle going on because the beast and the false prophets are going to go into a lake of fire and these people will be fighting among themselves and those who have been in the leadership of the beast and the false prophet are going to be killed. But the valley will occur, the earthquake, when Christ touches down on the Mount of Olives. When? When he returns with his saints. The book of Revelation describes it as he'll come, his vesture dipped in blood, and his bride, the saints, with him. Because we're told in another place, as soon as they're resurrected and changed at the last trump, they will ever be with him. I think that's 1 Thessalonians or the Corinthians. I think it's 1 Thessalonians 4. They'll ever be with him. Never be separated from him again. Now, he told us when he left, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you, and then I'll come back, and I'll give it to you, and in the meantime, you won't see me much. A little bit here and there, but not much. But then when he comes back, and the resurrection, first resurrection occurs, that 144,000 goes with him, they'll be married, and they'll always be together. So when he comes back, at the end of that honeymoon with his saints with him his vesture dipped in blood these people are going to flee down that valley that he made this isn't Israel this isn't the church this is describing those people who have taken over Jerusalem and they're going to get scared and they're going to flee down the valley For what good that will do them. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. Day of the Lord, time of darkness. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Eternal, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea. And half of them toward the Hinder Sea in summer and in winter shall it be. So this is talking about the original setting of the original Jerusalem on that neck of land, the holy hill between the former and Hinder Sea. You've seen them now. You know where they are. They'll be full of water again. Now in the beginning of chapter 13, he hadn't returned, right? So, who did he open the fountain of waters to at that time? The church. And 10% response. Then, when he comes back and takes his bride, has his honeymoon, and comes back to subdue the rest of the earth, the millennium will begin, and then waters will flow out from his throne, in his Father's throne, as Revelation 21 says, to heal all the nations. Church first, nation and world second. Living waters come through, from him through the two witnesses who, come, who then do the end time work. Then he opens it up to the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike, and the water comes out from the base of the throne because the Father and the Son are the temple of it. And they go out to heal the nations. So then it is a worldwide phenomenon. The earth is going to be all in one piece then. There won't be continents. It used to be that way. <clears> then <throat> it was divided in the days of Phileg. And the continental shells still match up to this day. But it was divided on purpose by God to keep the nations apart and to separate Israel from Gentile peoples for the most part. But it's going to come back together and then those rivers coming out of Jerusalem will go around the whole landmass. Because they couldn't heal the nations if it was still continents. That river is not going to cross the ocean and heal South America or China or wherever. No, it'll all be brought back together like it originally was. God is going to restore things to the beauty that existed in the days of creation before it was divided in the days of Pele. That's in Genesis. So this is the time when Christ and his bride and the Father will be ruling on earth. This ties in very directly with Revelation 21. I don't have time to go there. And the eternal, verse 9, shall be king over all the earth in that day, uh, shall there be one Lord, and his name one. And all the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimon south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate, to the corner gate in the tower of Hananel, under the king's winepresses, and men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction. This is when that is finished, and the millennium is beginning. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Peace will come. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Eternal will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem in the past, Their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. He is going to put down all opposition. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the eternal shall be among them, and they shall lay a hand every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. Just like... In Gideon's day, when they rose up and slaughtered each other, God, Christ will turn them against each other. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. So Christ is going to return with spiritual Judah, and his 144,000, and all the treasures of the earth are going to be gathered together to God's throne. The streets will be paved with gold, and nobody is going to have the treasures of God anymore but God and his bride. And so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, the ass, and of all beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. So he's going to put down all opposition when he comes to rule the earth with a rod of iron. Sin will not be allowed. It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, and they all had, we read that, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast not done away with. It happened in the past. It's in effect today. And it'll be in effect In the millennium. Everybody will keep the feast. Nobody will keep Christmas or Easter. And if they don't come to keep the feast, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. You don't live long without rain and water. And if the family of Egypt, representing the world, go not up and come not, that have no rain... There shall be the plague wherewith the eternal will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. People will have to either put up or shut up. If you won't come worship the Father and the Son at Jerusalem, you'll get no rain. And if you still won't come, you'll get a plague. God is not going to tolerate disobedience anymore. Everyone on earth will either obey God and serve God or die. The only choice you have. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the eternal. No rap music, no rock music, no uh, immoral music, virtually everything that spews out through the media today will be gone. And the music you will hear will be holiness to the eternal. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Be full. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness to the eternal of hosts. There will be no tables, no places where you eat, there won't be holiness to the eternal. Every house, every place will either be worshiping God, or there won't be a table anymore. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them, and seize therein, cook therein, and at that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Everyone will have become spiritual Israelites, not spiritual Canaanites or Gentiles. Didn't matter what physical colour they were, what their racial background or anything, that won't matter. They'll either worship God and be in peace and safety, or they'll be dead. They'll only be, in that sense, two types of people alive and dead. And it won't matter what your physical part was. We're all pretty much a mixture anyway, aren't we? My limited study I've done of my family tree, I've got all kinds of different people mixed around in me. Won't matter. God is going to cause everyone to worship him or die. So you'll still have an option. Live or die. But you won't have an option of being this or that, or worshiping that God or this God, or yourself as God, or cows or alligators or flies or whatever. You'll worship the Lord of hosts, or you won't be. And there will be peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. So the book of Zechariah then goes from the beginning of God beginning to work with a remnant people to preach to the world as a witness and to teach the truth, the living water to his remnant it'll be open to the rest of the church but they won't respond they're going to go into death and destruction and a third of them will come through it having been refined and then Christ is going to return Put his feet on the Mount of Olives, take his bride and woo her and bring her back with him to put down the rest of the opposition that has been on the earth and establish his kingdom, he and the Father being the temple of it. And if you don't come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, you die. There will finally be true peace on earth. The beast promised it, didn't they? Or aren't they? you'll won't have anything, you won't own anything, but you'll be happy. That's what they promised you. But they are a government of iron and miry clay mixed, and their feet will be broken. and they won't hang together. but God's millennium and Christ's rule will hang together, and there will be absolute peace on the earth. No war, no thinking of war no rebellion against God because it simply will not be tolerated you have to rule with that rod of iron that it has to be done in love and mercy and forgiveness so that people have a chance to obey and serve and be part of the kingdom of God but at the same time if you depart from that path you die Because it will be enforced peace. And people won't fight with each other. They won't argue with each other. Nations won't. What a wonderful time. And the book of Zechariah is summarized there. Just a story all the way through of what happens from very soon now all the way through until the kingdom is established. That's your short history of what goes on from today on. See you next week, or next Friday night.